Whether it's hiring me to speak at your next sales kickoff or delivering one of my high-impact story-selling workshops for your sales team virtually or in person, then don't worry, I've got your back, okay? Head on down to www.theraviregiani.com forward slash contact to book a complimentary discovery call to learn more about how I can help you and your sales team sell more with story. Welcome to the Influential Communicator Podcast, where my mission is to help B2B salespeople sell more by becoming authentic storytellers and impactful communicators without suppressing who they truly are or their values. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani, and without further wait, let's get into it. On April 4th, 2021, I heard a ping, man. I heard a ping, and it was a Slack notification from the Leslie Greenwood from Pavilion. And I'm thinking, hold up, is this Leslie Greenwood from Pavilion hitting me up? And she asked me for some support, right, for some of the members on her team about all things presenting, speaking, and storytelling. We hopped on a call, and hey, the rest is history. Now, Leslie has gone from being a trailblazer at Pavilion to actually starting her own business. Specifically, today, she's the founder and CEO of Chief Evangelist Consulting. And today, I've pinned her down, people, to specifically kick it with me and talk about all things, how to create an evangelists, or rather actually how to create a bunch of evangelists and explode your brand. Welcome, my friend. Welcome to the show. What's good? Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. And yes, you're right. It did come from a single Slack. I remember that because I was like, oh, I need it. I need someone to help my team to speak more effectively in front of all these CROs, and CEOs. Who am I going to call? Ravi. <laughs> and you graciously gave us your time and talked to the team and it started the beginning of your fandom with the member success team. And I still think they all have many crushes on you. <laughs> well, listen, I acknowledge the kind words with open arms. I received that and thank you so much. I mean, I think that was that phone call, the beginning of our friendship really forming because since then you've been so supportive of my work and really an evangelist, actually, I would say, of what I do behind closed doors. Like, you know, Leslie's introduced me to you, Ravi. I'm like, oh, Leslie, thank you. So you do so much of it behind the scenes for so many people. So it's only makes sense that you're doing it now as a business. So riddle me this, my friend, it's 2023. We spoke about it in the green room, right? It's 2023. You've gone from working at Pavilion, blowing up their community to deciding to go do it for yourself. And the funny thing is, is I think a lot of people don't know this about you, but this isn't your first rodeo, meaning you've had businesses before, but this one is just that little bit different, right? So going out on your own in 2023 in this market, how does it feel in terms of level of excitement and level of fear? You know, I would say it depends on the day. Anybody that's ever been a founder of a company one day you are killing it. I am, this is going to be amazing. What am I going to do with all this business? I'm going to have to hire staff. And the next day you're laying in bed in a fetal position, wondering if you're going to go out of business. So that's normal. I experienced that the first time around. So at least I, I know that, but you know, I'm, I'm super excited. There's so much talk about community right now. And that's just such a passion of mine and i um, excited to play a little part in it and just talk about it and be in it and continue slacking people all the time. So I'll just keep doing that. You know what? I hate Slack. 
I have to be real. You know, Pavilion is the only community that I, no, actually, no, there's one more that I have to use Slack for. And I do, but otherwise I'm like, oh, can we do something different? And that's what I want to talk to you about today, really, is like, what can people do differently to create something new, unique that hasn't really been seen before? But before we do get into it, you've been really open. I think it was in the summer of last year where you were talking about burnout and you were saying, Oh, like I've been on this road show around the US evangelizing Pavilion, evangelizing all of the great work that they're doing. And I'm burnt out. And you went through a period where you were deconditioning, I suppose, from what yeah. society wanted for you and really figuring out what you wanted for yourself. How are you preventing burnout for yourself in this season for your life? Is there one thing that you're doing differently? Well, I'm blocking Fridays off my calendar. That's one thing I'm committing since, you know, I'm in charge of my own schedule. So I'm committing to going to all of my daughter's swim meets. I definitely could do better. I mean, I will say that I am the driver of my own burnout. I am a 110% or nothing kind of person. 99% kind of feels like failure. And so I drive myself to that. I have yoga on my calendar three times a week probably haven't gone lately. So it just get up, walk around, have a standing desk and just being mindful. It's just being mindful and just knowing that there's no amount of work that I will do or can do that's going to, that needs to affect my mental health. And that's really what I was doing. I was climbing towards something. The something is elusive, but what came during that period was just that mental fatigue, the lack of clarity, the lack of enthusiasm for what I was doing. And I'm, I am a super passionate person about the things that I love. And I just, I lost that. Well, the self-awareness around that is huge. And I think everybody listening can probably relate to the idea of whether it's being on social media, LinkedIn, wherever, hanging out and being activated internally by things externally, whether it's goals and what other people are doing and feeling like, oh, maybe I should do that. And then you move towards misalignment and then you come back to alignment. So I think it's really cool that there's a movement right now of people choosing a world where they put themselves first, their health and mental health so that they can build something they love versus just for the money and being a little bit more impact driven. So yeah, I know you're a big contributor to to that trend as well and that conversation. So I want to acknowledge you for that. But also I want to acknowledge you for your British accent. So if you thought I was going to let you get away without giving me your best British accent. Look, if you're, if, you're, if you're watching right now, Leslie is like, the blood is drained from her face, right? And she's like, oh snap, like you're doing this? Okay, you're going to out me like that? Yes, Leslie, I'm going to out you like this. Okay, so you're going to hit me with your best British accent. Come on. Hit me with your best British accent. I want you to say, welcome to the influential communicator in your best British accent. Hello, all. Welcome to the influential communicator. That was quite good, actually. That, that was pretty good. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. You sounded a little bit like me if I had a few drinks. But yeah, you, <laughs> you sounded good. You sounded good. When I do an American accent, people say I sound like a valley girl, you know, like the sort of oh my god tiffany oh my god really like i sound like that like it's it's very like i'm basically watched too many hollywood movies but anyway i digress so evangelist what is an evangelist this it's a big buzzword right now how do you define it yeah i would say it's it is you're right it's a big buzzword 
And it's, I think for me, I have my own specific definition. And that definition is, it is you're a group of people and they are just the average Joes, Johns, Janes that are in your ecosystem. They're your users. They're your community members. They are just the people that you wow with your service, wow with your product. You create an experience that is unexpected for them. And they're like, oh, this is amazing. I love this. I feel connected to the product or connected to the person or the community in a way that I want to go out and talk about it. So interesting story. I'm glad this actually happened last week. I was meeting with someone and she's like, Leslie, you sent me two years ago this mug in a baby onesie when I was going on maternity leave. And first I was like, I did. And then I went back in our Slack and I saw it. And so like, she still uses the mug. She remembers that she brought it to our conversation. And I was like, wow. I mean, that's just one little thing that, you know, when I was working at Pavilion that we would do that was in an unexpected manner that you wouldn't expect even the kind of service that we gave to people. It was an enterprise level service on a, you know, I wouldn't even probably put people on a tech touch, you know, at that ACV. And those types of things are the things that turn people into your evangelists. And then what they do is they'll go out and they'll talk about you. They'll spread the word and they are your best people to give referrals, even give you a shout out on LinkedIn, talk about you. And those to me are the most valuable. Of course, there are top down evangelists and, but this is really a bottoms up play and is it's a very reachable goal for any company. It's a little bit of, it's manual effort. It's a strategy and it's, it's accessible to any company to decide to bring on like an evangelist led growth strategy. You know, what I love about what you said was I'm pretty sure that Caitlin from the Pavilion community sent me a, a, we call it baby grow, but yeah, onesie for my daughter before she was born. Samantha McKenna sent me one as well. And it's just, it's the memorability, it's the thoughtfulness, and it's the way that it makes you feel and the story it tells you about that company and its values. And it's just so crazy. But one thing that you said, actually, which really I want to dig deep on is this idea of you said anybody can do it. And I think you said something about scale. Maybe I've made that up in my head. But I think one of the things that I'm seeing right now, and I'd love to get your opinion on is people are obsessed with scale, but they've forgotten connection and intimacy. So Tell me a little bit about why you think evangelism promotes connection and intimacy. And can you do that at scale? Yes, because so let's say you create, you know, maybe now you're an, you're an evangelist. You talk about me to 10 people. Those 10 people, well, not me, a company. Those 10 people now are you know, referred in. They now spread the word. And there's actually, you know, studies that show people that are referred in are actually four times more likely to refer. So just by me referring you or you referring someone, they're more likely to refer others. So you've just created the scale from the, the economic side. You having that connection, when someone asks for help, you're probably more likely to give them a different experience. So done at scale, you're also, you know, enabling them and empowering them to be evangelists to other people setting the example so that they will then propagate along the way. And honestly, I mean, scale is all nice and everything, but not everybody values being a billion dollar company and 
you know, a unicorn and all the things. And, you know, some things just are never going to scale. And part of human relationships is, is never going to scale. And I'm okay with that. I like that idea of the self-awareness of knowing that, hey, I'm not trying to build something for a billion dollars and just really knowing what lights you up. And I think a lot of founders often struggle with that from what I see. And it can be ego, right? It can be ego. Leading I was going to say, hashtag ego. Yeah, hashtag <laughs> ego. A friend once told me, actually a silent mentor really once told me that ego stands for everybody's got one. And I was like, ah, that's beautiful. That is so true. That's so true, right? So tell me this. Okay, so I'm... A founder, let's just come up with an example or like a random example. Okay. I'm a founder of a SaaS company that has product market interest, just found product market fit. And I've heard about this buzzword evangelism, right? How do I go about finding these evangelists? Are they already there? How do I know if people are talking about it? Like, how do I go about identifying them? Well, there's a couple of ways. So one, I mean, the big buzzword out in the the world right now is community. So if you have product market fit, you have followers of your brand, your product solves a unique value proposition. Mm. You know, community is what people are talking about. So let's capture those people instead of having them out on like a rented audience, LinkedIn, other social media, let's bring them into an owned audience so that, you know, you are providing support, you're providing extra success, you're providing that experience that goes beyond what other brands are going to provide. So a new customer comes in, they come to the community, you welcome them, you give them extra support and love. That's totally different experience than what their competitors given. So that's one way, you know, you can do it because then from community data, you're going to see who's there. And they're not just the hand raisers. They're not just the ones who are the ones that are in every meeting, raising their hand, answering every question. They're the ones that are still logging in and consuming, but not necessarily raising their hands. If you obviously don't want to go a community route, if you have product use data, you can go in there and see who's in your product every day. You've got 10 user seats. You've got three that are used every day. You've got seven that are unused. Well, what about those three? What can we do to engage them? Who are they? What are their motivators? How are they different than the other seven people? How can we create them to be evangelists within their company to get more of their users to use your product, meaning stick your product, easier to renew, et cetera. So there's, there's different ways to go about finding them depending on the application. How do you... And you kind of already answered it with the onesie example, but how can somebody spark an authentic emotion in one of their customers or users enough for them to go and talk about you to people internally and externally without you saying, hey, I'm going to give you X number of dollars for doing so? It's not something that happens overnight. It's not Leslie slacks Ravi and now you love me and you're going to go talk about things. This is, we slack, we have a conversation. I send you a thank you note. The next time I remember that you have a picture of Gandhi behind your head now today, and maybe that's something you're interested in. So maybe I should bring a Gandhi quote to us next time that we're talking. And so that, you know, we're going to create a connection and I'm going to remember bits and pieces of the details so that, you know, I mean, next time we get together, how's your daughter feeling? And that we're going to 
continue that to the point where you're going to want to automatically do it yourself. Yes, I'm going to enable you at some point. I'm going to give you some some literature. I'm going to ask you like, hey, do you think we could get your other users on a quick Zoom call? Maybe I'll buy a quick lunch for the team, something like that. Once we establish rapport, if I were the success manager, that's the kind of thing I would do. But you've got to earn it first. It's not going to happen on one call, one interaction, one Slack. You've got to spend the time to earn it. And I definitely want to dig deep into that piece of community that you mentioned as point number one. I want to do that in a second. But before we go deep into that, I think one of the things that you're extremely good at, and I'm pretty sure you know this, and I'm pretty sure it's intentional, but you're a great listener. Like you can really tell that you are present with people and listening. And I've seen it and I've observed it in several instances, whether it's one-to-one interactions or one-to-many. And by the way, we've never met in person. This is all virtual, but you can see Can't that. Can't wait though. Yeah, exactly. Let's, we need to make that happen soon. But the level of deep listening that you do and space to give somebody the opportunity to speak like you're doing right now is just a superpower in today's world of noise. Yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, the ability to make connection and make rapport with people that I've never met over the phone, over Slack is something that is kind of one of my superpowers. And it is, it's just genuine. I'm genuinely curious. You know, I really want to know you have pieces of information and a life experience that I don't know about. You know, obviously I'm going to learn how to speak in a British accent so much better after today. That's my takeaway from this conversation. So yeah, no, I'm just, I just love talking to people. And I think if you go into conversations with that mindset, without having a commercial goal, I'll get to the commercial goal. A hundred percent will, but I'm not going to get it by going in direct and I'll be much more likely to get it if I come through a place of, of curiosity and actually genuine desire to know you. And I think that likability piece is quite big there. So for those of you listening, if you were watching or listening to the sequence that Leslie went with me, she said, okay, he's got a picture of Gandhi or Muhammad Ali or Bruce Lee there. Let me bring that golden nugget to his attention on our next call by showing him, you know, I've taken that into consideration and brought a quote, a movie or something to the table that makes me feel super heard and understood and constantly making me feel seen, heard and understood and then getting to the commercial goal. It's just, I'm like, of course, like, are you joking? I do like whatever you need, Leslie, done. And it's such a, I don't think of it as tactic and icky. I think of it as intentional. And I think there's a difference between ickiness and being intentional and i think people often get the two mixed up because i care about the intention of something which i think is very important what do you think how do you see that yeah i think there's a place where that could be totally creepy you know especially <laughs> it, it depends on what comes behind it because what comes behind it oftentimes is that pitch slap oh hey i saw your uh new york fan and by the way here are some tickets and do you want to buy my product so it just, it depends. I mean, and you're right, it's intention. And I think people feel whether it's genuine or not genuine right away. I think good things take time, right? Like if I think about relationships that are developed over time, the frequency and the intimacy, you put those two together and they've developed, right? So let's take it to the first thing that you said about community, which I'm really fascinated about because there's been several times along my journey since I started my business of, should I start a community is it right for me to start a community? There are so many communities out there. What is the USP of my community if I did do one? Now, I'd love to 
challenge you in this moment to think of the following question, okay? If I gave Leslie unlimited resources right now, money isn't an issue, okay? And she could go out there and build a specific community for the sales world, what would be the problem that she's solving? And how would you structure that community to make it completely different from anything that we've seen out there? Instead of that, could I say, if I had all the resources in the world and now we're going to build you a community, can I? Oh, yeah. Let's do free consulting right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What would you do for me? Live consulting. So if I were building a community for you, Robbie, with no constraints, Okay. obviously we're not going to do it on Slack, but we are going to do it somewhere that has a video component because I like my video messages from Robbie and my audio messages that I receive on LinkedIn from Robbie from time to time. If you've not gotten one before, be jealous. So I want a video and an audio platform. I want also to think about what your, like you said, your USP. So you, we don't want to sell Robbie. Robbie doesn't scale. Ravi will be burdened and bogged down by the responsibility of owning an entire community. So I want to make sure that we have a value proposition that is outside of the scope of Ravi. We want to think about the community structure. Obviously, we'd want to add some learning components in there. And we definitely want to have it inside one platform. I have not found the platform. So I would probably have to build the platform that we would put it on and it would be like this amazing experience, something akin to Slack because I love the motion and the energy and that just the feel of the way it feels to, to talk on Slack and to talk in real time, but then also add this audio, the visual, the, the learning and like wrap all that together into one like super amazing experience and then keep it, it can be large, but it's also going to feel intimate. And that's the biggest thing. And that's where communities, I think, go wrong when they get larger. Anything over a couple hundred people is they don't create spaces for intimacy. And that really has to happen. Otherwise, things break down and people have to know each other. So creating those bonds and and moments from the very beginning are super powerful. But like I said, for you, it's the biggest thing is like you're the value proposition but we have to like dissect you a little bit out of a value proposition so that you will still have a life and your life is not the community. So is the idea to hire somebody who's a community manager full-time from day one, who's built it before and knows the steps to do that? Or would you recommend the founder or me in this instance doing it myself for one year? Cause it can feel overwhelming. Like the thought of it right now, as you were talking, I can feel burnout. <laughs> I can feel that. I can feel burnout. <laughs> so like, it's like a new business. So t- talk to me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it's right. There's like 45 steps to build a community. There's literally 45 to 60 steps. We're talking about community design. We're talking about code of conduct. We're talking about privacy. We're talking about, you know, all these steps that have to happen in order to just even launch a community, let alone the marketing, the workflows, you know, are you taking applications, et cetera? So like, that's something you would not do. You would completely outsource that to someone else. You'd be the brainchild and all that kind of stuff. And yes, you will want a community manager. Now, do you need one full-time at first? No, maybe you don't need one full-time at first, but you could find someone 10 hours. You need someone to be the guide. You need someone to be the the welcome committee. You need people to show the way and tell them how to get the most out of the community. And then that, so that you can come in and 
create the most value where you can do your 80%. I don't need you in the 20% part. I mean, that's just not, sorry, I'm being direct. That won't be your zone of genius. I want you to stay in your zone of genius. Mm, love that. And, oh, I love that. And how would you price it? Because here's here's the thing. I've seen people do freemium models. I've seen people charge high ticket for a very small group of people and somewhere in the middle somewhere. Now, I'm conflicted because I think if somebody offers me something for free, if it's incredible, I'm like, where's their paid stuff? Because if this free is this free stuff is that good, like where is the paid stuff? But on the flip side, I value something when I voted with my wallet. If I'm paying for something, the more money I pay, how I'm wired is the more money I pay, the more attention I pay. So how would you price something like that? I agree with you. I think that anytime someone pulls out a wallet, even if it's for $5, I'm getting more buy-in than I would have gotten otherwise. For you, it'd be something depending on the size that we would decide. Like, you know, you might decide that there's only going to be 200 people ever in this, or maybe people can only come in in cohorts, depending on whether you want to offer learnings, you know, classes, master classes, you know, small round tables. So I think it would be, you know, how you would decide to productize your services within inside the community would be how I would decide that. I don't think tiers of community make sense. Like you would have a basic access price, a something access price, and the like, I get to be Robbie's best friend price, which I get a discount on, by the way, just FYI. <laughs> so I think you just figure out something that works from the beginning, that's going to be workable and scalable for your, for your market. Hmm. You know, one thing you said, which really stood out to me there, which I'm not sure a lot of other people picked up on, or hopefully they did, but you said maybe you just have it as capped as 200 and that's it. Meaning the community never grows beyond that level. And that's really interesting because it caps the level of scale, if you want to call it that, but it increases intimacy. Tell me about the pros and cons of capping the number of people in in your community and I suppose what that could do for your reach and goals beyond the community. Yeah, I think it depends on the person. Depends on the person, depends on the company. So if you think about, you know, a company looking to expand the, the visibility of the product, obviously we don't want to cap that. But for something like yours, I think there is, there's definitely benefit for that. And then maybe one day there is an offering, you know, you, there's an offering outside the community that gives you tangential access. You know, it can always be the nice thing about community. It can always be revisited, but with the goal in mind. And I think that's why in community building, you know, people talk about things like engagement and new members, but those aren't, we can use those at the beginning, but they're not business outcomes. So like one of the first conversations that we would have, Robbie, are like, you know, why do you want to do this? What are your mission, vision, and values? And what are the business outcomes that you want to achieve through this? So is it more, if it's more visibility to have you do more SKO speaking or things like that, then maybe we, it's not a capped. If this is something that I can, you're looking to, you know, expand and deepen your network and like be able to have a deeper reach into a smaller group of people. Of course, that would be an income stream for you, which allows you to maybe be home with your family more. Then, you know, that's a different business goal. So, you know, we would we would really dive into that and figure out which would be what would be the best outcome for you for those. 
It's very interesting, isn't it? Reverse engineering, well, <laughs> I suppose it makes sense, but I think we all often forget that, is reverse engineering the outcome we actually want versus what we think we should have because everybody's doing it one specific way. And I think one thing that you mentioned earlier on, which hopefully a lot of people find peace in, is the community is not about them. It's about the transformation of the people in it. You don't have to be the glue. Ultimately, they become the glue, which is super interesting. So let's say if somebody decides, you know what, I want to go down the community route. Okay, so they hire somebody part-time, They've got, you know, 50 to 100 people in there. Then what? How do you truly create consistency within that and create something which is memorable, very similar to what Pavilion had done and also something similar to what the likes of Dale Dupree. I really respect what he's done with the sales rebellion. You know, people are talking about it. It's like a movement around a mission. How do you create that? Yeah, I mean, I think that goes back to your that vision values conversation. What are you going to first you have to decide what are you going to congregate around? You know, we're not going to congregate around you. So is it a unique challenge that you're you're looking to solve? Is it, you know, a certain skill set? And then you're going to continue. I mean, the nice, the thing about community, it's like value continued over time. Continued value, continued value, continued value. So for you, that's probably content. That's education. Maybe it's it's opportunities for them to speak or have you know, their content scene. So yeah, it's just, you have to figure out what your audience wants, which is part of the building process is having the conversations, figuring out who you're an ideal community member would be, find out what they want, what they don't want, what they wish they could have in any community. And then for me, an important part of that is what does it feel like? If you walked into my community today, what do you feel like? What do you see? What does it look like? How do you want it to feel when you get in there? Like taking in an account what, if it were a physical space, what does it feel like to you? And that was, I mean, if you remember in Pavilion, it's like we we said we roam the halls of Slack, you know, come by my office. And it's like, I live there. You know, the team felt like this was a place and we wanted you to feel a certain way when you got there. And that is, I think, super key to community building. So all those questions go into, you know, how you would define and devise and grow a community for people that wanted to part of Ravi's amazing speaking community. But what if the idea of somebody hires their own version of Leslie and then that their version of Leslie goes and hires five people and suddenly it starts being a time suck for them and it shifts them away from what they should be focusing on inside of the business. How do you prevent the shift of focus or shiny object syndrome? So you're saying if like the founder hired someone to help them build their community, the community yeah. builder helped them find some people to help run the community, but you're saying the Escaling. founder could get shiny object syndrome and that would- Yeah, saying? I should have asked that better. I should have asked that better. I suppose what I mean is, is that part of the business starts growing and it's like, oh my God, this whole thing over here is growing. Maybe I should devote more time to that. And instead they move away from refining their product, creating more impact with that. Like, how do they balance the outcomes of the community versus the outcomes of the core revenue driver today? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that goes to one founder staying in their lane, usually doesn't land directly under the founder, but then also goes back to the business outcome. So if your business outcome is that you're going to eventually start marking 
community qualified leads and you're looking for growth. So people come into your community first and then they end up as a prospect. So if that's part of your long-term strategy, then yeah, you can devote a little bit more time. Just know it's going to take some time. But then also, you know, you if it's not a revenue driving object and it's going to take an 18 month time frame to really build up a good community, you've got to focus You've got to focus elsewhere, and it's just somebody got to be one part of your business strategy. I mean, just like anything else. It's more of, I mean, I'd say community oftentimes runs under marketing. So you have to think about it. If you think about it from that marketing lens, I'm not saying Mm. it should fall under marketing, but if you think about it from that marketing lens, that's really more of the time frame, the outcomes that you're looking at with community. Aha. So somebody thinks about it as, oh, I'm doing advertising. Oh, I'm doing organic LinkedIn and I've got people managing that. Then this is something similar. So they should see it under that type of activity. Gotcha. 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 It's interesting. I can't remember when it was, but there was somebody on LinkedIn talking about the role of having a chief evangelist inside of your actual company. So somebody who you hire full-time to beat the drum of your offering, have a podcast, really just get the name out there and really focus on generating revenue for you over the long term. And this person was saying that, you know what, in the current market and what's about to come, why don't companies hire a chief evangelist? Give them a quota. And I can almost guarantee that the path that they will take to generate that result will be more fruitful, more connection focused, and you'll get it done in less time. If you've got somebody with a big, big following, I don't suppose fan base for better words, and supporters, you're going to get that a lot quicker than hiring a team of SDRs, for example. What's your take on that? How do you see that conversation? You know, I think that's interesting because I, as I was doing research for what I wanted to you know, be when I grew up for the next time, you know, I talked to a lot of the chief evangelists out there. And what's interesting was most of them at that time, now there's been a a shift in this since then, they'd grown up in their roles in the company. They'd been with the company seven years, 17 years, 20 years. So they had been with the company. They were the natural evangelist. They were the Joe, Jane, and Jerry we talked about at the beginning. And then over time, they became the evangelist. And it it was a natural progression. It was authentic because they believed, you know, they really believed that. We are seeing like a new kind of thing where people are being hired in to be the chief evangelist. I love the idea that the word evangelism is getting out there. I don't know what the long-term strategy of the evangelist is. And the other thing, going back to the people that have been in those roles for so long, many of them didn't have a quota. If you've been with a company for 17 years or seven years, they just know you are going to do the right thing for the business Mm. and that the business will profit from it. Very different from someone coming in new that you've hired that is probably going to have a quota. And so it's it's a little bit different in that effect. And I guess I love all the chief evangelists that I've met out there. And I love the idea of the role. I just wonder the longevity of the role. And especially if the market does increasingly get you know, tight and you can't directly tie revenue to, you know, a larger role like that. I just, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's why I love the bottoms up evangelists because they don't cost anything. They cost time, effort, and love, and I can mass produce them over time. And for those wondering, 
what you mean by bottoms up. You're talking about users, customers, partners of the brand who are like talking about you on LinkedIn, for example. Yeah. Members, users. Yep, exactly. Just what you said. Got you. Perfect. And it's really interesting you made that distinction between somebody who loves the brand because of their connection with it and organically moves into that role versus somebody who says, hmm, this person has a million followers across their different socials and they've got a big podcast. Why don't we hire them in to be our evangelist? So it's such a different type of conversation with a different level of authenticity often attached to it. So it's interesting that there's a question mark for you in your mind as to where it's going to go. So in one year, let's say you and I don't talk and we suddenly have the same conversation. And I say, where's evangelism today? Where would you hope it is in 12 months time? You know, I would be happy as long as we're talking about it. As long as the word is out there, like the biggest hurdle that I'm facing right now is just really customer education. You know, people aren't talking about evangelism. I told my mom the name of my company. She's like, are you talking about church? You know, everybody just thinks <laughs> it's about religion it, or something. Right. And I'm like, no, she's very confused about the whole process. So, I mean, there's just a lot of, I would love more just visibility of the word. And if that means that it's, you know, coming from all the different places, from the people that I look up to on LinkedIn, that's great. And I'll just differentiate on the way that I talk about it. Although I, I kind of had that role a little bit when I was at Pavilion, when I was vice president of member advocacy out there talking about it spreading the word, being in touch with members, getting feedback, et cetera. But that was also from a place of like, I just really loved what I was doing and I loved the the community. So maybe a little bit, a little bit different. Well, you were basically the chief evangelist at Pavilion. I mean, like before you left, you did a road show, like you were out. Every time I'd log on to LinkedIn, it was pictures of you with members talking to them, them having pictures, being excited to hang out with you. Like it was this real buzz. So I, I kind of felt like you were the chief evangelist at Pavilion anyway, but- um, I was one of many on the road show. Oh yeah. Oh no, no, for sure. For sure. I think I just saw your picture everywhere. <laughs> I suppose I just saw you everywhere. And I think it was because you, you love a good selfie. All right. Let's be real. You love a good I selfie. I do like a good member selfie for sure. Oh yeah. You love a good selfie. So listen, my friend, as we wrap up here, we have a little tradition with guest episodes. And as you know, the show is called The Influential Communicator, as you rightly pronounced it with your best British accent as we kicked off. So for you, who is somebody that you look up to as an influential communicator and why? Mm. This is a good question. And I have a couple of answers for you. So one from a you did kind of tell me I couldn't choose you. And so that's okay. So I would say from a public speaking standpoint, I'm going to say Kevin Dorsey, Katie. It's funny when we were on the road show, we talked and, you know, he loves to get on stage and talk, but he hates the mingling and all that. Well, that shouldn't say hates, but he doesn't prefer the mingling and all that. I love the mingling and I don't want to be on stage. I'm like, we would be the perfect duo. I'm going to warm up the crowd talk to everybody and you go give this killer speech. So like his ability to present and connect on stage is something that I would aspire to. The other one is Rachel Koblitz. She's the VP of Learn at Pavilion and she has just such an interesting perspective on learning and just life in general, very introspective. And I love watching her, you know, kind of grow and, and speak out on LinkedIn. 
That's awesome. Two people I really connect with. We've had KD on the show. He's a great dude, really great dude. And Rachel's, oh, I haven't had Rachel on the show, but now you've given me an idea for getting her on the show. But thank you, my friend. I appreciate you and your energy. So where can people go to learn more about the Leslie Greenwood? Well, of course, I'm on LinkedIn. And you might probably, since Robbie, you know, called me out, find a selfie of me. So LinkedIn, you can visit my website, thechiefevangelist.com, but most likely just LinkedIn. Happy to have a, a DM, a chat, etc. All right, ladies and gents, listen, if you enjoyed the show, hit us up with a review, man. Hit us up with a review. Tell us what you think of the show. I definitely would appreciate it. I'll see you next week, rather. Same time, same place. Peace. Oh, okay, okay, hold on. So you thought that this was the part of the show where I say something like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you did enjoy the show, then please drop us a review and do share it with a friend. Well, I tell you what, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be predictable here, okay? Do share it with a friend and do drop us a review if you got some value from today's episode, okay? So if you want to impact people, remember, you need to learn how to influence them first. 